Venezuela is celebrating the re-election of Nicolas Maduro to a second term as oppressive socialist dictator. Despite Maduro's 75% disapproval rating, he won 68% of the vote, overcoming his popularity deficit by winning the votes of people who don't exist and people who were afraid of being killed if they didn't vote for Maduro. Venezuelans celebrated the start of six more years of socialism by gathering together to dine on delightful native dishes like cat roasted over a trash fire and trash roasted over a burning cat, which have become very popular under the Marxist regime. As one voter put it, before we had socialism, our values were corrupted by material goods like food and medicine. But now, living by the principles of Karl Marx, we can concentrate on the things that matter, like dying in the street and getting choked with tear gas during food riots. Here in America, Bernie Sanders cheered Venezuela's commitment to the same socialist ideals he espouses, saying it's ridiculous to blame Marxism for the country's troubles when those troubles are clearly due to invisible demon space aliens traveling through the phone lines to infect the water supply. Now, that makes as much sense as socialism. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin. This is The Andrew Clavin Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy, the world is zippity-zing. It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray, oh, hooray. All right. I am Andrew Clavin. Those of you who are with us live are probably thinking, Andrew Clavin, where's Ben Shapiro? I get that a lot. I get that. My wife says that when I come home sometimes. Hi, honey, I'm home. Andrew Clavin, where's Ben Shapiro? But Ben is off celebrating a Jewish holiday. At least that's what he, that's what he told. Him. I think Ben makes these up now. He takes off so many so many holidays. I think, you know, he comes in. And he says, "Yeah, tomorrow it's uh, Yom Hashmolian." You know, it's uh, our God demanded our people sit in a barco lounger in our underwear and watch TV and maybe take the kids to the beach later on. And you know, Ben, he's got that innocent little face. He's wearing the yarmulke. We got to believe him. <laughs> we don't know. We don't know what he's doing. But uh, no, that's not true. It's Shavuot. 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 It's a, the celebration of when God gave the law to the Jewish people. So have a wonderful holiday. And uh, here's what I would like to talk about today is, you know, in the aftermath, we've got a new shooting, obviously, in Santa Fe, very always, always a terrible atrocity. They call it a tragedy, but it's really a, an atrocity. And we also have Friday's revelations that basically there was a spy, the Obama administration planted this uh, American college professor working in England. He infiltrated the Trump campaign to see if there was Russian collusion going on. And what I want to talk about in light of these two stories, this story, that, that second story broke on Friday, the New York Times, the Washington Post were being fed information by our uh, intelligence agencies that they could, so they could then spin it to get the intelligence agencies' versions of this out there before people had a chance to actually think about the truth of it. And that's what I want to talk about. What I want to talk about is storytelling. I want to talk about, this is what we're fighting over. The reason that every time there's a school shooting, the, the news of it, the news cycle seems almost exactly the same each time. It's not just because the events, of course, are uh, terribly similar, but it's also because we're fighting over story, how the story is going to get told, right? And on on the uh, left, they have this obviously absurd story that this is about guns. It's always about guns. Just like saying that like the Jack the Ripper murders are about knives or the Boston Strangler killings are about hands. 
And, and you know, I, I'd make a joke here about banning hands, but since in London they've already banned knives, I'm, I don't want to give anybody any ideas. And we say, you know, we say it's about different things. What causes this? What causes boys to do this? And, the, you know, let, let's take a look at how this looks for a minute, all right? Let's take a look at how it looks when we're fighting over story, right? There's a shooting and the press goes out and does what I think is just wicked. They go out and interview these poor kids who have just been through this traumatic event. And they show you on the video, they show you the reporter going from place to place, uh, asking the parents for permission to interview the kids. Even so, even so, this is not the way you should be approaching children who've just been through a traumatic event, but they do it and they catch this one girl and she says this and this goes uh, viral. I heard around four to five shots. I don't know. As soon as I figured out what they were, I, I started to run to hide. So, Students reported hearing the fire alarm first and then the shots. Is that, what, is that kind of the sequence of events for you? No, I heard the shots first and then the alarms went off after I hid. No, no, we were all in a line and there were lots of, lots of uh, SWATs and police around. They escorted us all out. We were in a single file line and we came down here to the Chevron. I was thinking it was going to happen eventually. It happens... It's been happening everywhere. I was ready to run out, but my teacher told me to hide instead. So that's what I did. So here you have this lovely young girl, obviously traumatized. And she says, I was expecting it. I knew it was going to happen here. Why? Because the the left dominates the media and they sell the fact that this is a crisis that we're having, when in fact, murder is way, way down. As, as the ownership of guns has gone up, the murder rate has gone way, way down. And there's even a new study that's about to be released from Florida Northeastern University saying the school shootings are down from the 90s. So this is not uh, necessarily a crisis that we're experiencing. But of course, if the story is that we've got to get rid of these nasty guns, that we've got to get rid of your Second Amendment rights. If that's the story, then we, we're totally justified in showing you this trauma and using your emotions. You know, if we had an honest news media, they would just be telling us the facts. This is what happened. This is what it is. They'd be letting the people, this, they'd be letting the story emerge from the minds of the people. But instead, they want to make sure that they've got this story right, that they are telling you the story they want you to hear. On the right, we always have this, uh, you know, the, here are the facts, here are the facts. We always point at charts and graphs and we have, you know, try and explore why these guys do what they do. Oliver North, you know, who is going to be the new head of the NRA. I don't think he's quite ascended to the head, head of it, but he's the incoming head of the NRA. He goes on TV and he tries to sell the right wing narrative, the right wing story. Here it is from Ali North. The problem that we've got is, is we're, we're trying like the Dickens to treat the symptom without treating the disease and, and the disease in this case isn't the second amendment the disease is youngsters who are steeped in a, in a, a culture of violence uh, they've been drugged in many cases nearly all of these perpetrators are male and, and they're young teenagers in most cases and they've come through a culture where violence is commonplace all we need to do is turn on a tv go to a movie if you look at what has happened to the young people, many of these young boys have been on Ritalin since they were in kindergarten. Now, I am certainly not a doctor. I'm a Marine. But I can see those kinds of things happening. You know, I, I have to tell you, I, I like Ollie North. He's Oliver North. He's really a good spokesman. I'm sure he's going to do a great job for the NRA. 
But obviously a crying child telling you, an upset child telling you that she was expecting, she was going to school every day, expecting to be gunned down. When the guy came in, she wasn't surprised at all. That's a more powerful story than what he's saying, you know, going off, uh, running off a a series of reasons. I've been a professional storyteller all my life. This is how I've made my living. I've been a novelist. I've been a screenwriter. And even the satire videos I do on YouTube are a kind of storytelling. And when we're fighting over the story, I, you know, I've talked about this before, but there are different genres of story. It's important to see this. And I hear a lot of people say, why can't the right, why can't conservatives tell stories as well as the left? Why do the left, they make their movies, and they make Avatar, and they basically get us to pay them. Their stories are so good, they get us to pay them for the propaganda. Now, the, the thing is, you have to understand that we're fight, not just fighting over what the story is. We have different ideas of what a story is, okay? There are different genres of story, different uh, qualities of truth to each story. If I come in and I say to you, oh, on my way to work, a, a, burning was, a building was burning and I had to run in and rescue a child, that story better be true, right? I'm, otherwise, I'm a liar. But if I say to you, once upon a time, there was a man who had two sons, you understand that I'm telling a different kind of truth. And there are all kinds of deep things. Thinking. There's all kinds of deep thinking about storytelling. Jordan Peterson is a Jungian, and he believes, well, maybe Jesus didn't really uh, rise from the dead, but this story tells a very important thing about the human consciousness, and it's very important to, to uh, tell this story to get at that truth. I'm a Christian. I believe, yeah, I believe with what C.S. Lewis said, yeah, Christianity is a myth, but it's a myth that actually happened. It's a myth that happened in real life, and that's what gives it its tremendous power. So we have different ideas, but the left has a totally different idea about stories. They don't believe in actual moral truth. This is what you always hear about this term moral relativism. They believe that moral truth is created by the narratives that people believe in. They don't believe in nations. They say, well, a nation is just a story you tell. A religion is just a story you tell, and it can be useful, but it creates what creates the truth is the way we behave. So they actually think that by telling the story and getting you to believe the story, they are creating the truth. And that's why they bully you all the time. That's why they say, what do you mean a man can't be a woman? A man can be a woman because they believe that if you will say that a guy puts on a dress and that turns him into a woman, then that will be true, okay? That is why they are telling different stories and they're holding themselves, they're holding themselves to different standards of storytelling because, because they think that this is, uh, this is the way to create reality. Now, here's the story that I want to tell about shootings, okay? To me, guns are not about, the Second Amendment's not about guns. The Second Amendment is about freedom. Our founders understood that in order for you to be free, for you to live your individual life, speak your individual experience, you needed to be free. And the way they did that was not through democracy, not by giving people the vote, because they knew that democracy ultimately leads to tyranny. They created a republic in which different powers were fighting with each other. So the Senate fighting with the president, the courts you know, against the president and the Senate. This is the way they did it. And progressives have hated this from the beginning. Woodrow Wilson said, you know, the president should be as powerful as he can imagine himself to be. It makes no sense. How can you how can you accomplish anything? How can you accomplish anything? Wilson said, if if all the powers are fighting with each other, one of the powers, two of the powers that they wanted fighting with each other were the federal government and the states. And when the federal government said when the people writing the Constitution say, said the federal government is going to be in control of the army, the state said, well, wait a minute. If you get the army, who's going to protect us from you? Who's going to protect the states from the feds? And they said, all right, well, here's what we'll do. 
We'll make sure the populace can be armed. We won't infringe the right to bear arms. And then the states can arrange to have militias so they will have a line of defense. But of course, that logic also goes to the individual. The individual needs a line of defense against the state, against evildoers. And that's how we maintain freedom in this conflict of powers all the time that is defended ultimately with guns. The guns aren't about the guns. The guns are about the freedom. And if we tell that story when these shootings happen, if we tell that story, then it becomes very different. Because even if the guns contribute to school shootings, the guns also protect our freedom and our freedom is non-negotiable. All right. Our freedom is not negotiable. It ain't about bump stocks. It ain't about AR-15s. It's not about semi-automatic weapons. Our freedom is non-negotiable in any way, shape or form. And see what why the left does the right. Why we on the right don't always tell good stories is because we don't know which story to tell. We want to give people the facts and the facts are important. But we also want to make sure that the narrative appeals to the human heart and mind and freedom does that. All right, let's talk about scent bird. And you can't say scent bird. It's not sending a bird. It's like smell, S-C-E-N-T, bird. And you know how you go into a uh, department store and some beautiful lady comes up and sprays you with a scent without your asking her to, and then they have to cut, the police have to come and pull you off her. You don't have to do that anymore. You can choose a new cologne. You can date a cologne or a perfume before you buy the full bottle. With Scentbird, you can choose a new cologne every month. And if you can't decide, they have an editor-selected cologne or perfume of the month. And they have over 450 designer brands. And it's really, it really is wonderful. You don't want to be, I don't want to be that guy who got a, a bottle of cologne from my dad in, in 1922 and I still have it. I want to be able to try new colognes. So that's why I always use Scentbird.com. Visit Scentbird.com slash Clavin, K-L-A-V-A-N. Use my code Clavin and you get 50% off. That's only $7.50 for your first month. Free shipping. S-C-E-N-T-Bird.com slash Clavin. Use my code Clavin for 50% off your first month data cologne before you have to commit to it. All right. So let's, let's go on and talk about the same thing, fighting over the stories of this story that came out that a professor was paid by our intelligence people to infiltrate the Trump campaign. And Trump is now calling for an investigation. And they're saying, oh, that's terrible. You know, Trump can't interfere, interfere with the Department of Justice. The Department of Justice is part of the executive branch. And Trump certainly can get involved with that. The Congress is an independent branch, right? And so when they start to demand, when Devin Nunes starts to demand information from the Department of Justice, the Department of Justice should respond to that oversight, and they don't. So the intelligence community goes to the New York Times, and they want to get the story out and spin it before anybody else spins it, right? So their headline is, FBI used informant to investigate Russia ties to campaign, not to spy, as Trump claims. That's the, that is the New York Times telling you what the story is. FBI used informant to investigate Russia ties to campaign, not to spy, as Trump claims. That's not even a headline. That's not even a headline. Those are instructions on how to think, on how to tell this. Story. You know, speaking of storytellers, Rob Reiner, famous, famous director, the what do they call Meathead from uh, All in the Family, goes on TV and says, you know, the, you know what the real problem is? The real problem is the right owns the media. <laughs> he goes on and says, this is, this is what he says. You're under attack. The press is under attack. And right now, if you remove the ability to get the truth out, 
then you're going to have uh, the destruction of democracy. We don't have any more. Uh, there's no checks and balances from coming from the Congress. Right now, the courts are holding. But this is the first time in American history where you have a state-run television, Fox, uh, Breitbart, uh, Sinclair, and Alex Jones, aligned with the president of the United States. That's very, very tough. The battle lines have been drawn, and we're going to see whether or not democracy survives. Yeah, so NBC, ABC, CBS, CNN, The New York Times, The Washington Post are all speaking for the deep state. But the real problem in Rob Reiner's mind, this storyteller, because he is a storyteller, he knows. He knows if he can demonize Fox. You know, the, the left is so good at this. They don't even have to argue with Fox. They just make it so that Fox becomes a kind of curse word. Ah, oh, that's Fox News. That's on Fox News. That, that, you know, that, that's Fox News. Doesn't matter. You know, Fox could tell you the sky was blue and the left would come out and say, ah, that's Fox News. Anyway, this is the thing of controlling the story. And that is what we have to learn to do because they do it so well. All right. However, I will say this. One of the things that I love that really uh, that I love about politics is the hilarity of watching the left trip over its own narrative. There is nothing funny. I, you know, if you don't have a sense of humor about absurdity, you shouldn't be following politics. I mean, politics, the thing that I love about politics is the absurdity and the absurdity on the left is very strong. The left hates Trump so much now that all Trump has to do is say black and they say white. He says white, they say black. It doesn't matter. So Trump comes out, and you all heard about this. Trump comes out and he says MS-13 uh, are animals. They're not people, they're animals. Now, this is MS-13 is a Central American gang. Their slogan is kill, rape, control. But because Trump said it, the left can't stand it. And so they come out and they say, well, you can't call, you can't call people animals. Here is Nancy Pelosi, Nancy Pelosi rushing to the defense of the poor babies at MS-13. We believe that some of us who are attracted to the political arena and to government and public service, uh, that uh, we're all God's children. And so when the president of the United States says about undocumented immigrants, these aren't people, these are animals. You have to wonder, does he not believe in the spark of divinity, the dignity and worth of every person? Calling people animals is not a good thing. All right, the spark of divinity. And what I love about this is not only has Trump maneuvered Nancy Pelosi into defending people who beat children to death with baseball bats and eat the hearts of their victims. So that's that's Nancy Pelosi's constituency from now on. But now she's talking about a spark of divinity. So here's my question. When does this spark of divinity enter the body? Okay, because Nancy Pelosi is a big, big abortion fan. So when does I just want to know how this works technically? I'm just I just want to ask the theology here. When does the spark of divinity enter the body? Because obviously not a conception, obviously not when the baby is growing and when it becomes obviously a baby in a woman's stomach, in a woman's womb. Not then. It's not then. Is it after the baby comes out? Is that when the spark magically enters the body, or do you have to join MS13 first? Is that that's what I want to know? Do you get do you get the spark when you born? You know. Their, their narrative is so crazy. There was this case in uh, Arlington, Virginia. A doctor slipped an abortion pill into his pregnant girlfriend's tea. It caused the girl to have an abortion, and he was sentenced to 20 years in prison for the crime of fetal homicide, right? Now, he's only going to serve three years in prison. I think it's, yeah, he's, he'll serve only three years. But 
It's fetal homicide. So I ask myself the question, why is it homicide when he does it, but if she does it, it's a woman's right to choose. It's health care. So I tweeted that over the weekend. I, I said, why is it homicide when he does it, but it's, it's health care when she does it? And uh, of course, the left went nuts and they come after me and they start screaming, don't you understand the meaning of the word consent? It's about consent. I thought, you know, I understand the meaning of the word consent, but I also understand the meaning of the word homicide because homicide, look it up, it's the killing of a human being by another human being. You can't consent to that. It doesn't matter if I say, you know, oh, my producer Rob made a mistake. I consent to his killing. You know, go ahead, go ahead, take him out, you know. And then, and then they come and say, well, you know, you killed Rob. And yes, but he had my consent to kill Rob, you know, so it's, it's fine. It's fine. You know? <laughs> That's why, and that is why when we see President Trump, uh, he brought back this Reagan era rule. This is great that would pull federal birth control funds from clinics that sell abortion, which means Planned Parenthood. This could cost them in title, what they call Title X funds, to the tune of about $80 million a year. And this, you know, this is a beautiful thing. And when people wonder why, oh, Trump has done bad stuff and he, you know, slept with a porn star and paid her off, maybe, you know, all this stuff. You think like, yeah. And and they make fun of, uh, of evangelicals for supporting him because he hasn't lived an evangelical life, maybe hasn't even lived a Christian life. Yes, but he's doing this stuff. When he does this stuff, I'm sorry, it's homicide. It's homicide. If you can be convicted of poisoning a fetus in a woman's body, if you can be convicted of homicide, then it's homicide when she does it too. It's homicide when she does it too. And that's, and that is, you know, that is the thing that is actually, it's kind of delightful that the left has got itself, tied itself in these knots and made itself so crazy that, that they can't, um, you know, they can't get out of their own logic. All right. So let's go on to the royal wedding. And in order to get to the royal wedding, we have to talk to a man who knows about weddings. And that, of course, is Princess Michael Knowles, who is uh, about to get married himself. Michael Knowles, who, like me, has a podcast here on The Daily Wire. Uh, let us bring on the, uh, the lovely, the lovely and talented. There he is. There he is. You look, you, you're looking lovely, my dear. This <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you are. I, I come to you. I have to tell you, I had no idea. I woke up. Was it Saturday? I woke up on Saturday and I look at my Twitter feed and I thought, oh, there's a royal wedding. <laughs> like, and you know, you know how you, you know, my wife like almost knocked me out. She, what do you mean? You don't know there's a. Royal? Well, I, said, I knew there was a royal wedding, but I didn't. I was not really paying paying attention. But you are about to have a. It's a little different your wedding because with this it was a commoner actually marrying into royalty. With you, it's a princess dragging, being dragged down. Into being the, dragged down into the seventh <laughs> circle somewhere. Yes, that's right. Although fortunately, at least I think my wedding will be much more aristocratic and traditional than that travesty that occurred across the pond. I can't believe you made me watch this thing. Uh, was it bad? I, I, I delayed watching it because the thing took place at four in the morning on the Pacific. And so I, wa I said, okay, I'll just watch the highlights. And that way I can avoid all of the craziness. Of course, I end up getting sucked in. I watch the entire thing. It was one train wreck after another. So really? just to, to paint the picture for you, it opens up. You're at St. George Chapel, the British royal family, the monarchy. 
And uh, what sort of hymns do you think are playing? Maybe, oh Jesus, we adore thee. Maybe, I don't know, some beautiful chanting or something. I, I vow no. to thee, my country. They have beautiful hymns in England. Yeah. They do. They are some of the most beautiful hymns. So, of course, they selected Stand By Me by Ben E. King. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that was a, that's a beauty. It's a, yeah, it's a, I think yeah, next time they're going to do really, Under Pressure by Queen and David Bowie, you know, <laughs> just to really... Like I mean, Jerusalem by William Blake and Stand By <laughs> yeah, Me. They're, but they're right. both up there. Yeah, that's... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I don't, maybe there's a dubstep remix of William Blake's. Yeah. So that's how it begins. Uh, then it, uh, the recessional, or one of the songs after the, the ceremony, was This Little Light of Mine, the Etta James version. Uh, do you just, you think, people said, what, you don't like Ben E. King? You don't like Etta James? I said, you know, I like all of these things. They have their time and place. I mean, this is taking place in Windsor Castle. It looks like an episode of Downton Abbey. I mean, Downton Abbey like exploded to, to its highest level, and they're playing this light of, little light of mine. Yeah, that's right. I mean, right. it really is that by the time we get to Prince Louis's wedding, it's going to be Justin Bieber. And the, <laughs> but this gets into the entire theme of what's going on here, which is the monarchy is modernizing. That's what oh, they love. Yeah. That's why all of the media love this. So then, just to I'll, I know you missed it. I'll give you the highlights. So Meghan Markle, lovely lass. Uh, walks down in a flowing white dress. Listen, these are modern eras. I don't begrudge Meghan Markle a thing, but she did walk down the aisle and pledge her undying eternal commitment to a man seven years ago, and she was still married to that man five years ago. Oh man, you're really picky. So you're 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 arguing she couldn't wear a white dress because she's not a virgin? Is uh, that what you're? <laughs> well, uh, at least uh, you know. Listen, it's very uncommon to find a virgin around these days on either side of the pond. The white dress industry <laughs> would kill yeah, the <laughs> white, sales of white dresses would drop to zero. I think. Yeah, but I think. <laughs> If you if you pledged your eternal love to a man seven years ago, you were still married five years ago. Perhaps that just punctures some of the fairy tale. But that's okay. that's what the wedding was doing. Yeah. So then on the royal family website, this is what really got me because I don't mean to attack Meghan Markle. She looks lovely. She looked very beautiful. The royal family website now has her website. It has her page up and a quote from the new Duchess of Sex- Sussex, which was, "I am proud to be a feminist." Yeah. Did you ever think you'd see the day on the royal family website? <laughs> I weep. I weep. I weep. I weep for Europe and the glory of Europe extinguished forever. There then, of course, came the priest. This was an uh, Episcopal bishop named Michael Curry. I, I can't even describe it for you. Do we have a clip of it? Love are born of God and know God. Those who do not love do not know God. Why? For God is love. There's power in love. There's power in love to help and heal when nothing else can. If you cannot preach like Peter, and you cannot pray like Paul, you just tell the love of Jesus, how he died to save us all. Oh, that's the palm in Gilead. This way of love, it is the way of life. They, they got it. Imagine this tired old world when love is, is the way, when, when love is the way, unselfish, sacrificial, redemptive, when love is the way, then no child will go to bed hungry in this world ever again. 
you know, I, I, I saw this and the, the queen, the look on the queen's face was like she had just woken up and said, what is this man doing in my chapel? I don't, how did he get with someone? Gods, remove this man from my chapel right away. Like, the, the queen's face was one of the highlights of it. And even Prince Harry's, you cut to, you see Prince Harry sort of vaguely smiling. You know, I don't know. But by the way, I think that is what Jesus tells us in the scripture, right? Is uh, a no child will go to bed hungry in the future. Or no, he says the poor will always be with us. All right. Well, we'll have to you know, check it out. You know, this started, I lived in England for seven years, as you know. I mean, I lived over there a long time. And while I was there, Princess Di died. And she was in that horrible car accident and all this. And you can't, I cannot tell you what it was like. I mean, the, the weeping in the streets, the flowers piled up outside the palaces. I mean, just, and, and you think of the British as a stiff upper lip gang, you know, you think of them as the guys who withhold their emotion. But suddenly there was this outpouring and she really did a lot to to bring you know, I don't want to say to bring the monarchy down, the but to bring it to the people's princess she was. Uh, the people's princess, exactly. She brought, she popularized the monarchy. And I, I knew people then, older people, the British who would say, you know, the problem was when the Queen gave a tour of Buckingham Palace on television. That's when she let them in, you know. And so, <laughs> and so they've seen this happening and they're very, it's, they're very uncomfortable with it. I mean, it really has changed. It has not only changed the face of the monarchy, the monarchy changing has changed the face of the people to a far more sentimental than they used that, to that's be. exactly right. And yeah. it's so sad to see the British become sentimental because what is happening, what we're seeing here, especially from the time of Princess Diana, is the monarchy is modernizing. But p- people like the monarchy. They like the aristocracy. They like fairy tales. And, and when you modernize, you take away the entire purpose of the monarchy. You know, this is what I was going to say to you because you're saying it was a travesty and all this stuff. But I was over at our friend's house and his wife, Erica, was playing this on TV and she was transparent. Oh, yeah. I mean, she was transferred. She loved it. Yeah. They, well, absolutely. Americans have always loved the royal wedding. I will say the only thing I should say, because I'm, I'm being a little tongue in cheek on the travesty. You know, there, there are a lot, many more egregious ceremonies uh, elsewhere. But there was a wonderful cellist, this guy, Sheku Kana Mason. He played Après en Rêve. Uh, he played uh, Schubert's Ave Maria. And, you know, you, you don't say this was an amazing thing, except compared to Ben E. King, this guy was <laughs> transcendent. This guy was descended from heaven. And uh, but you're, you're absolutely right when you talk about Erica. Uh, women Be- love this. Stuff. They love this. They've yeah. always been obsessed, by the way. There are reports of Americans being obsessed with the royal wedding since Victoria, since Victoria got married. And uh, I know I, there were something like 30 million Americans watched, even though it happened early in the morning. Uh, uh, Airbnb reported uh, 42,000 visitors to its places in London, a 1,400% increase in tourism in the surrounding towns. So uh, yes, Americans love this thing. We've always gone crazy for the royal weddings, for William and Kate's, for Princess Diana's with Charles. Didn't last that long, but you know, they liked it when they got (laughs) married. Uh, But this was no exception. They, they love it. This was the deconstruction of a royal wedding, and it's the deconstruction of monarchy and aristocracy. Did you see that race hustler Al Sharpton said that this, this wedding mattered because it was the last breaths of white supremacy? I did. I did see, see I didn't even know. My wife told me like two days ago that Meghan Markle was half black, and I was like, what? Who knew, you know? (laughs) It's true. You just look at her because you're supposed to look at the monarchy and say, oh, this is a fairy tale. This is a princess. But uh, these people just see it in these very modern divisive terms. And the mainstream media, they they loved that aspect of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, I got to interrupt you for just a moment here to talk about 
Peter Millar. I know you, you like their clothes as much as I do. They are just really terrific. They started out, I think, just making one a single cashmere sweater, but they've now grown into a premium American lifestyle brand featuring a wide range of casual sportswear, tailored menswear, and luxury performance golf apparel. You know, I don't uh, play golf, but the way these things fit, they have this comfort fit quality and style, and they're setting the standard for menswear. Uh, you know, it's it really is. I've been I've been getting some of this. Uh, I've been getting some of their. Uh, material, some of their stuff, and you can just put it on and it fits everything. You don't have to be out in the golf course. You can be anywhere you want, uh, you know, and it just feels comfortable and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't get out of shape and it makes you look great. The performance polo is really beautiful. I love that stuff. It's an incredibly comfortable shirt. And you can say that about almost everything that comes from Peter Millar. Right now, you can head over to PeterMillar.com slash Clavin. That's K-L-A-V-A-N, PeterMillar.com slash Clavin to check out some of my Peter Millar favorites. Be sure to use my link so you'll receive complimentary shipping and a free hat. That's Peter Millar, M-I-L-L-A-R.com slash Clavin, PeterMillar.com slash Clavin. All right, I got to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube. But come on over to thedailywire.com. You can listen to the rest of the show. While you're there, you can subscribe for a lousy 10 bucks a month. And then you can watch the whole thing right there. If you subscribe for an entire year, it only costs you 100 bucks a month, which actually saves you money. But I can't do the computation of how much. And you get the Leftist Tears Tumblr, which is an essential thing to have when you are drinking Leftist Tears. Come on over to thedailywire.com. So women just they just love a royal wedding and they love a fairy tale. Well, you, so so you, why is it that Disney is under fire for doing fairy tales? Then they say they're not going to do it anymore. That is exactly the right point. The, you know, it's uh, the person who has written best about this is actually your daughter, Faith Moore. She does great work on this over at PJ Media. I mean, she she loves the Disney princess stories and she hates that they're being you know, feministed or whatever you want to call it. They're being uh, destroyed. By femi- I like that. <laughs> yeah, they're being, they're being destroyed by feminist uh, complaints about them. Absolutely right. She, she's seeing something in these Disney movies that is absolutely reflective of the society more broadly, which is these Disney movies now have gotten rid of Prince Charming because it's so infantilizing for the women. It's not empowered enough for the princess to want her Prince Charming. You see this in the recent Disney movies. The recent Disney movies don't have the traditional romantic love story. They don't have the princess longing for her prince. There are different kinds of love personified here. There's sisterly love, motherly love. That film Moana doesn't even have a love interest, doesn't even have a prince. And that looks like coming down the pike, they're not going to have that in the future. And we're seeing the same thing at Disney that we're seeing in the monarch, in the actual monarchy, which is, oh, we can't have those silly old traditions. We can't have those silly old. Who wants that? Who wants that? Every woman on planet Earth. That's who wants that. <laughs> yeah. Why don't, why don't why don't women ever get? Uh, maybe they do. I shouldn't say this. I mean, certainly they do on our side of the fence. But I mean, w- women should be upset that feminists are telling them not to be themselves. That's right. right. I they're, mean, feminists are saying just you, become a sort of man. Yeah, and, and also and also like, oh, you have this desire inside you. No, no, no. That's not the desire we want you to have. We don't want you know, I, I always I always quote and remind people that Simone de Beauvoir, one of the founding feminists, said that being a homemaker should be outlawed. And she said, because if women had that choice, they would make it. If too, you know, too many women would make it. 
which is to say that basically we should be in control of your desires and your uh, yearnings and your, uh, des- you know, what you want out of your life instead of you being out of control. Why? I don't understand why Disney is listening to this. Isn't this going to cost them money? Well, you would think it would cost them money. And I will point out over time, there have been a few Disney releases in the last couple of years. The biggest box office is Beauty and the Beast, especially domestic box office, is Beauty and the Beast, a traditional love story. All of the other ones, Tangled, Moana, even Frozen, all of which did pretty well, but they they couldn't really touch Beauty and the Beast. And now Planned Parenthood is saying that we need a Disney princess who's had an abortion. That's going to be their next move. That's that's what I'm I'm waiting for. I'm standing outside the theater right now. I've got my ticket. I'm holding my ticket in anticipation of seeing that that story. You know, one of the things Faith writes about, uh, Faith Moore over at PJ Media writes about when she's writing about Disney is that they take it also literally. Mm-hmm. You know, they talk about Beauty and the Beast like she really wants to marry a monster. And they talk about marrying a prince as if that's really just marrying into royalty when we, sh- we Americans shouldn't care about royalty. But it's all symbolic. I mean, it all, it all shows, it shows you that women love the kind of animal side of men, but they also civilize the animal side of men. That is the story of Beauty and the Beast, that she falls in love with this animal man but by falling in love with him, she also turns him into a human being. It's the story of me and my fiance, sweet little Elisa. <laughs> of course. Maybe, I mean, I think I've maybe. lived through this. <laughs> I, maybe it's, you, you'll be turned from a beast. And I've seen absolutely uh, no sign of it so far. But I'm, I'm hoping that will happen. Michael Knowles, thank you uh, very much for coming on. I, I'm glad you watched this because I didn't want to. And I, <laughs> I to it was, you know, it was a, 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 important to look at and see aristocracy just become democracy and fill us all with that modern malaise, but <laughs> say lovey. Say lovey. Well, thanks very much, Knowles. It's good to talk to you. Um, you know, the, the thing about this is that it really is a, a fairy tale when they, ha- when they have these weddings, and people should be allowed to enjoy that. I don't see why that's a problem, and I don't see even conservatives were kind of making noise and saying, oh, well, we're, you know, we broke away from Britain, so we shouldn't have to watch this. But no, this just symbolizes, the, the prince symbolizes an ideal, an ideal man. The uh, uh, aristocracy, the uh, monarchy symbolizes the fact that a woman wants to be treated as a princess, wants to be treated as an elevated uh, kind of person. These are, not, these are not bad things. These are human things. This is part of our story, part of who we are. And I don't think, I think the left has been just trying to browbeat us out of our human nature, browbeat us out of our sexual nature, browbeat us out of our genders. And I don't see why we should let them. I do not see why we should let them. And I don't see why companies like Disney even kowtow to them at all. All right, it's time for our crappy culture. So, I have to, I've been getting some letters because of my podcast that p- people want me to stop making fun of Devin Nunes's name, okay? Now, I noticed, and my wife noticed, that for a long time, people didn't know how to pronounce Devin Nunes's name. So every time you'd go on a different show, it'd be Nunes, it'd be Nunes, and I was watching all these different guys, and I started to think, well, what's his name? Look up his name, what's his name? So I started making jokes about it, and people were upset, apparently saying, na-na, nunu is a no-no. And I think, you know, they started to say that the, the joke was old and had lost its newness or Nunez, or Nanu, or whatever it is. And, you know, I, I, think, I think the th- thing is, I understand that these are serious times. And as conservatives, we want to be serious people and talk 
in a serious voice like I'm talking in now. Because otherwise, if we're silly and we're making jokes, we might start laughing and giggling and having a good time. And then, you know, if somebody's walking by the conservative room and they hear us in there having a good time, they might want to become conservatives. And we certainly wouldn't want that. You know, we don't want people joining us because being a conservative is great and uh, has a lot of fun. But the thing, the thing that bothers me about this is that no one complains when I call George Stephanopoulos George Succolopagus. No, nobody ever complains about that. And that nobody complains when I make the joke that Donald Trump has so erased the legacy of Barack Obama, although he hasn't erased the legacy of spying and corruption, but he has erased the legacy of regulation and even Obamacare is on his last legs. And I say, you know, he's erased the legacy of Orama or O'Hara or whatever his name was, and nobody ever complains about that. So what they're really complaining about is that I'm making a joke about one of ours. Devin Nunes has been heroic. He really has. I mean, heroic may be overstating it, but he has been terrific in hunting down the papers and the documents that expose this infiltration of the deep state into the campaign of Donald Trump. And when I say the deep straight state, I'm not talking about some imaginary conspiracy. I'm talking about this administrative state that progressives have put in to defend government action from the voters. This is a group of people who can don't get elected and yet they make regulations that have the force of law and we can't get at them. And the intelligence community is part of that. And Devin Nines or Niner, whatever his name is, has actually done a terrific job. So I'm actually not making fun of him. I'm just being a little silly because nobody knows how to pronounce his name. And the bigger issue here, the bigger issue here for me is following people instead of principles. This is how the left got themselves in trouble. They thought Barack Obama was the second coming. They didn't even believe in the first coming. And they thought Barack Obama was the second coming. And so whatever he did was fine. Silence your uh, political opponents with the IRS, fine. Spy on a political campaign, fine. And the problem with that is it comes back to bite you when people start to say, you know, okay, well, you did it. Well, we're going to do it too. I mean, this is what you get with sexual malfeasance. You know, Teddy Kennedy left a girl to drown and yet the left continually told us he was the lion of the Senate. He was the lion of the Senate. You say, eh, not so much. He was actually a guy who left his mistress to drown because they were following people instead of principles. And I think it's true of us too. I think Donald Trump has act- is actually shading over into being a great per- president, but he's not always such a good person. I mean, the things we don't have to say that it's a good thing that he slept around. We don't have to say it's a good thing he cheated on his wife. Over the weekend, I was at a place, this very nice lady, she was kind of scolding me about saying things like this. And she said, well, you know, Donald Trump is an alpha male. And I said to her, you know, alpha male is a category of ape. It's not a category of human being. An alpha male is a category of ape. And to me, to me, cheating on your wife when she's pregnant, cheating on your wife at any time, to be honest with you, is not a sign of being an alpha male. It's a sign of really not being able to control yourself. To me, the alpha male is the guy who knows how to control all his urges and actually is his has his soul in control of his body. So all I'm trying to say here is, yeah, I make silly jokes. I do. I'm here to have a good time. I'm here to be entertained. I, I, I think if you watch politics and you don't think the absurd is fun, uh, you're just going to be miserable. So I, I do make these jokes, but it's, it's not about the people. It's not about the people. It's about the principles. And remember, the whole point of all we're doing is this country and our freedom. That is the story that we are telling. We are telling the story of this great country and its great freedom, but we don't have to lie. We can tell that story straight because it's true. All right, I'll see you again tomorrow. I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show. Thanks for being here. 
The Andrew Claven Show is produced by Robert Sterling. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. And our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Emily Jai. Audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. The Andrew Claven Show is a Daily Wire Forward Publishing production. Copyright Forward Publishing 2018. Gear up for the great outdoors with Forlo, the brand that's revolutionizing outdoor apparel. Forlo's non-compromised, 100% American-made outdoor apparel protects your body from the elements so that your mind stays focused on the hunt, on the water, or on the trail. Your adventure starts with a solid foundation, which is why Forlo's base layer is designed to provide the comfort and insulation you need to keep going when the temperatures drop. Their uniquely breathable down layer ensures that you stay warm without overheating. And since proper protection goes beyond insulation, the final layer, a waterproof shield, completes the system. From UPF sunblocking material that shields you from harmful rays to polygene technology that masks your scent, Forlow's innovative designs and cutting-edge material ensures that you can focus on the adventure, not the elements. Their commitment to innovation and American craftsmanship will carry you beyond the known and into the unknown where the journey truly begins. Get the most out of your time in the outdoors and go to forlow.com and use code DAILYWIRE for 20% off your purchase. That's forlow.com, code DAILYWIRE.